0: Hi everyone, this is Nikki Papayuanu and I'm your host of Superstar PR. This is season five and I promise you the best guests we've ever had because I've gone around the world and I found people that fascinate me to no end and I'm introducing them to you. Have a listen. Thanks for joining us. Hi everyone, welcome to Superstar PR. Um, I'm so excited about today's guest because She's a bit of a gift. So she's a certified trauma counselor, a resiliency coach. She has a really cool new book, Gifts in Dark Packages. I mean, it's a bestseller on Amazon and this thing came out five minutes ago. (laughs) Catherine Clark Connects, welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast, Nikki. Well, we think we have hard moments and then you tell me what you witnessed. So I mean, like, let's get right in there. I wanna ask you about some of the experiences you have, just so people really understand who you are before we get into your book. What have you seen out there? I've seen some dark packages. And you know, I think the best way to talk about those is
1: just exactly what we're doing. Pull up, sit on a couch that doesn't have to be so scary and have some coffee with Catherine. So maybe that's how I can tell the stories today too. But I, I feel like I've been very honored to sit with people from Inuit to mothers in the Arctic who are grieving the loss of a child where the suicide rate is 10 times the national average, to have worked as a trauma counsellor on site at true what would be considered disasters like Fort McMurray fires or if there's a bank robbery, they're like Hey, Catherine! can you come and support people and do what's called critical incident stress debriefing, which is really kind of if you think about PTSD, so many things are preventable if we have early intervention, and we have the supports. So I do that along with the fact that uh, I trained, uh, did a master's in counseling site from U of T, and actually have worked mainly in the area of cognitive behavioral psychology, which for those of you who might not know what that, what that is, our thoughts are directly related to our moods and emotions and hence our behavior. So you know that little critic that sits on her shoulder, Nikki? Yes. The one that says, you are not good enough. The one yes. that gives us the imposter syndrome. The one that's always looking at what's wrong with the situation. I really help people to change that mindset flick that critic off their shoulder and harness all the learning that can be found by really feeling it all to healing it all getting in that dark package whether that's um it doesn't have to be a a disaster i hope it isn't uh just a hardship problems of living sandwich generation i have had the honor of doing corporate and mental health workshops on a range of subjects. And the one thing I know to be true is that even if you can take one nugget of wisdom away, you can start that today to live a life with more ease and joy. And
0: isn't that what we're all looking for, Nikki? Absolutely. Um, Okay, so here is just kind of a thought that came to me. Catherine, you go into situations most of us don't want to go into. So I think what you touched on is PTSD doesn't have to be as we know it. It doesn't have to be 30 years of therapy. So tell me a little bit more about that. Well, really what the kind of business I'd like to think that I'm in, Nikki, is
1: uh, the mental health education business. And in talking about post-traumatic stress disorder, for example, Yes, your body goes into fight or flight, there's a there's a flurry of things that happen to you when you witness something that's traumatic, or when you're in the midst of it. And, you know, even neuroscientists have looked at how it changes, how our brain fires. But what I want you to know, is that suffering in silence and hoping That the recurring nightmares, or the inability to sleep or eat, or you know, feeling just like that spin cycle of overwhelmment has taken over your life, that does not have to take over your life. And so, if you can actually talk to a medical professional right away, like within the first forty-eight hours, it's been proven. So
0: it's been proven. We can set
1: you on the trajectory of actually recovering from a trauma as opposed to internalizing that and developing something like a mental disorder, like post-traumatic stress disorder.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So, I mean, I, I don't know if listeners, you heard that, but Catherine said, the sooner you get treated after a moment where PTSD could kind of kick in, the more effective, you know, this treatment could be. So this doesn't become something that plagues you for life. I think that's really important. Now, can I ask you, Have you ever been scared with the work you do? (laughs) Yes. Oh,
1: yes. Fear is a feel the fear and do it anyway. That's kind of my motto. Susan Jeffers wrote a book on it. Because um, just to go back to your other, you know, your other point about early intervention, acknowledging that you're feeling an emotion is probably halfway to finding that it can be released from you. And did you know that? fear, like a range of emotions that we haven't really thought about. Fear actually only lasts any emotion lasts about 90 seconds. Yet what happens is we get pulled into the fuel and the story of it and the fury of it and we go down this whole um, rabbit hole of darkness, if you will. So yes, a mental health professional is just as likely to fall flat on her face (laughs) as anyone else. Fear is not to be feared. What I want you to know is acknowledge it and harness it because fear is an energetic emotion. It actually allows us to say, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to say yes to this. It allows us to get boundaries around us to know when to say hell yes or hell no, right? And that's the gift in fear. In fact, there's a book like that, too, called The Gift in Fear that I'd recommend to to viewers because often it's our intuitive fear plus excitement that can get us moving and thriving and evolving into the best version of ourselves.
0: Oh, that's good. Okay, so let's talk about your mental health resiliency roadmap about your book here I like to go back to the roadmap often. I'm on page 11 for anybody listening, if they have your book also. So you say that there are 11 major checkpoints that you've plugged into the GPS for our mental health resiliency roadmap. And you say that you want people to navigate their way toward an optimally thriving, flourishing you. So what's up with this checklist? And can you tell us, like, how did you come up with this?
1: A great question. Thank you for asking. Anybody else sit in the pandemic in the dark for a while and go, okay, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> that was totally me. And at first I was thinking, okay, I've been doing this for 25 years. I've been in almost every situation, every nonprofit, every corporation, you know, every, on the, you know, on the front lines and in those tiny keyhole moments, how can I take all this and help people to see that they can go from barely surviving kind of being stuck at this pity party to actually get to this place of ease and joy. What I like to say is feeling self-enjoyment and self-fulfillment. Isn't that the ultimate destination, Nikki? Like yeah. really? Yeah. Yes. And I didn't want to do a Maslow's hierarchy because we're done with climbing mountains and striving and having to get to some pinnacle. Like let's face it, we're, We're not gonna, many of us aren't gonna get to Everest and we're probably not gonna self-actualize as Maslow wanted us to. But what we can do is learn the lessons in our own little T or big T traumas, our adversities, our hardships. That's what I call the dark packages. And to get on and off this roadway to go from barely surviving to thriving. So I don't know if you want me to talk about the four parts and the 11 checkpoints. Nikki? Yes, yes, please do. Let's go through this list. So the way that I devised this roadmap is instead of having to strive to get to an end point, what about if we were grieving and then we were able to resolve that grief to a place where we could actually take the next best exit or make the next best version ourselves? So I divided it into four parts. And the first thing is you shouldn't be getting on the highway at all if you haven't had your car safety checked, should you? Mm. If you haven't looked under the the hood, if you don't even know where the mental health gauge is. So that's part one. It's all about getting, saying, okay, I won't return this dark package to sender. I'll acknowledge that it belongs to me all become aware of the emotions that go along with this so we even have this really great emotions wheel i'm sure you've you've i love emotions wheel, which is fear we already talked about fear oh there's some good emotion emotions we try to avoid like contempt and um guilt anybody love those ones and part two we can't go further on this roadway a we've got a car that's working now But we need to get to this place, and it's critical stuff, of self-compassion, self-acceptance, and self-forgiveness.
0: Oh, my mama says, have mercy on your soul. It's all of this. Yes. It is, because you you can talk
1: the talk all you like and secretly be beating yourself up, you know, There's a part in the book I talk about, because it was me. You put the makeup on, you put the lipstick on, you got your best killer look. You go into, and I worked in the corporate world, I worked in advertising for the first part of my career. And it was, it was all about the show. And you can't tell when you pass someone on the street. And on that same day, I was going to the subway, it was the Metro in Montreal. And I was teetering on the edge, ready to jump because I was clinically depressed and I didn't even know it. Wow. So that's part one better figure out there's there's resources like mentalhealth.ca that I provided in my book, where you're at. And secondly, do the exercises so that you can give yourself the compassion. You probably did the best you could with the skills the programming, you know, that you had, and have compassion. So there's a lot of neuroscience. There's a lot of, you know, biological research, emotional research, that's gone into the theories around how to have self-compassion and self acceptance. Okay. And self-forgiveness. Well,
0: I just want to say that you hated the sign in my office that said humble hustle. Let's talk about that. Cause I feel like it ties into this. Yeah, I really am done
1: with hustle culture. And that kind of goes into the third part of the roadway, which one of the stops and the exits, we all, there's 11 checkpoints. I just talked about the first two divided into four parts. It probably seems like, whoa, what's the third part that has all those checkpoints? Well, because we can get the box and say, okay, fine, fine, it belongs to me. We can can learn about it. We can get in, do the work, embrace it and say, okay, I I know I can't do this alone, and I can't keep hustling. So then the third part is a series of checkpoints that I can guarantee we're all going to be on. And one of them I've called human connection deficit syndrome. Whether you ever talked about it like that before or not, many of us were sitting alone in apartment buildings, in lockdown, thinking, where's the hustle now? where's that getting me? Because it's the facade, isn't it? It's not the authentic soul. And it's not really what are we striving for? It's what, what are the expectations that society has of me or what I've been striving for, as opposed to when you're alone with your thoughts, (laughs) and you're in that dark place really realizing it's about the relationships, isn't it? It's about, first of all, the connection to ourselves, the integrity in our own souls, and then knowing we were never meant to do it alone. You just have to look historically. I mean, we were meant to be in tribes to be successful. But we can only do that if we're already honest and authentic about Where we're at, what we're good at, what we're not good at. We can't do everything. Guess what, guys? (laughs) You can't do it all.
0: Yes. Okay. I mean, Arianna Huffington talks a lot about rest and listen to your body. You're saying the hustle culture is leading us to what the pandemic, when we were home alone by ourselves in our careers, was kind of empty. (laughs) These are good points, Catherine. And what happened during (laughs) the pandemic? You did something cool with coffee. You want to tell our listeners what you did with coffee? Yeah, so like everybody else, um,
1: you know, you're going along in life, right? I had just done a workshop, and and I was busy, and my daughter was going to go off to Europe, and, well, I'd also left a marriage. That's another gift in a dark package we can talk about later. It's in the book. But I saw the struggle, especially of our youth, and my heart goes there because when I finished my master's in counseling psych, I worked... At a university counseling center, McMaster University, with youth. And can you imagine? I just try to think back, and maybe some of you have kids having to leave your residence, your tribe, your new tribe, you're thriving. You're like, I got freedom and liberty. Finally, I'm separating from my parents. I'm on my own mission. And then not only are you asked to come home to your parents' place, you're supposed to do your whole school and degree online and you're not even supposed to have sex drugs or rock and roll with your friends anymore. Like when in history has parents been able to put those controls on 20 year olds? So I thought to myself, I need to do something. I need to get a mental health toolkit into the hands of, especially our young people who are really struggling. And that's where my daughter being Nineteen at the time said, Mom, you got to get on Instagram. I'm like, what's that? And uh, she set me up and I did my first, I got on my couch. I said, hey, let's have coffee with Catherine. And I thought, you know, I'm just gonna talk to people about the small little steps, little tiny things they could do to lift their mood and perhaps get back on feeling like they could thrive again instead of barely surviving.
0: And how many people showed up to this, Catherine? I don't know. Like it was like a hundred people came on the couch with me and it freaked me out. A hundred people showed up for coffee with Catherine, (laughs) brand new to Instagram. Like this is like this, I don't know. Like we need to pause here because whether or not people think that they're somebody that needs to read your book, I think when a hundred people show up to, to listen to you on Instagram, everybody needs your book.
1: Well, I think everybody needs little tiny nuggets of wisdom that someone who's been in the field and has actually suffered from clinical depression herself, um, postpartum depression, two of those, because let's face it, there's a lot of misinformation out there. It's one of the most underdiagnosed depressions. And here's the next one, guys. So yeah, so I was singing the I am so smart, SMRT dance, and then... I had to talk to my doctor because I had all this anxiety. I was like, was this informed consent? Did I actually invite all these people over for coffee? Like it felt like I would bared my soul. And then and then the next thing I was asked to do was like these these lives, more of these lives and things. And it really gave me anxiety. I mean, I probably had anxiety from leaving a marriage, but I had repressed it. And guess what? Repression is not an effective tool. Eventually it all comes out and I ended up calling my doctor and saying, here I am trying to help people, but I need to take care of my own mental health first.
0: And how did that go?
1: I actually ended up for the first time ever. um, I think that your doctor is your front door to treatment. Mm -hmm. Having a discussion with him about everything that was going on. I was also working with a psychotherapist at the time and so that multiplicity of support with antidepressant medication, which isn't for everyone, but it can reboot your brain chemistry. And with doing my own, which was EMDR, and um, there's other forms of, of therapy that I've recommended in the, in the book, I was able to just get off all the medication and say to myself, you know what? I've learned a lot here. And I'm going to write a book. And that's what actually moved me. See, this is the dark gift from feeling like I was drowning in a sea of self-deception and darkness to actually saying, I'm going to just tell my story and tell the truth to people so that they can tell the truth to themselves and get the same sort of tools that I've been you know, using with my clients for years
0: this is good I mean Catherine like th- with the pandemic I had this kind of observation that we all dealt a certain way I was making pancakes every day complicated veggie, sweet anything you want baking I'm not a baker oh. um, well everybody took something on and did a lot of it and then I think mm-hmm. we all came out like a rounder you know <laughs> and now we all miss each other and now we're nicer to each other I think What you're talking about,
1: um, Nikki, is a big part of the premise of the book called post-traumatic growth, Mm. which there's a whole school of positive psychology that happened, started probably a couple decades ago. Dr. Martin Seligman was sort of at the helm of that. And there were actual studies that were done of families, you know, through and post-pandemic. And the question was, was there any good That came out of this dark. And many of those families were able to say yes. The majority said yes. I actually had more real conversations with my teenagers. We learned that exact thing. We learned how to bake something together. Like, I mean, they ran out of flour and baking powder and yeast, right? And or we we learned a new musical instrument. Uh, We actually connected on a level, on a steep level that we wouldn't otherwise have taken the time with soccer and dance and school and all these activities, travel for business. We spend a lot of time human doing and not a lot of time human being. And I think that was really the gift in the pandemic trying some new activity learning a new language writing a book for some people and creating a garden you know I know somebody who, who
0: moved up north and planted so many trees it's like they're living in a forest now <laughs> that's my kind of person Catherine that's who I want to meet wow um, I actually know a doctor who bought a country home and it's a farm now and she goes there every weekend and she has a farm and she realized that was like a coping mechanism for her during the pandemic. Okay, so let me ask you, how do you feel about journaling? What is journaling in the process of healing? Interesting you should you should ask that. And I actually I I can't remember what page that's in.
1: It's it's in the self surrender and mindfulness page I I suggest journaling as one of the ways to actually one of the mental health resiliency tools. And the reason why I think it works is exactly what I was talking about, self-honesty and self-awareness, is often we're so busy with this badge of honor and this you know, this kind of veneer that we, we wear around that we become very, it's almost like a dissociation between the actual me in here and the one that I present to the world. And I think journaling, helps with grounding us in our true authentic self maybe better than most things because especially if you can learn the technique of it and not be judgy. I know the first time I was journaling, I was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't like this pen color. Oh, is this really the right, the right one? They should be. Oh, maybe it should be lined. Maybe it shouldn't, you know, like, so once you get past all of that and you take out all the judgment Often there's gunk that needs to be said. And maybe you can't say it to your friend. Maybe you can't say it to your boss. Write it out. And there's something that's actually physically been said about holding a pen. And it's like all of this angst and all of this emotion that's been kind of stuffed down kind of comes out of you. Like this, if you're angry, like the seething inferno. And it's a really... Like it's an energy that you can put into the pen and write it out and, you know, write everything that you're pissed off about or your your boyfriend, you know, broke up with you or, you know, the boss wants this out of you now and uh, get it all out. And then you can actually take that or rip it out. Read it if you want to, scream it out if you want to, crumple it up, burn it, you know, do something with it. It's actually getting it out of you so that it no longer has the power over you that it used to it's very very cathartic
0: oh I like that okay I have to ask you Catherine so how do we know with little kids if they have PTSD how do we know like what's a way to talk to a little kid and get something like that out of them you know uh, I
1: have to say there are very specialized psychologists and trained professionals who work with kids and certainly when I was in the Arctic, the systemic issues there, the layers of abuse and neglect, you know, again, trauma is by no fault of your own. I think one of the person that writes some um, the best on um, on trauma is Gabar Mate, who's a Canadian and has actually dealt with a whole range. Uh, he's, a, he's a medical doctor first. So how do we know? you know, with children, they're very, very resilient, right? Like grandma died and everybody's trying to hide their feelings or, you know, maybe they, they witnessed a car accident and everybody's trying to protect them or whatever. And they're like, can I go play now? You ever notice that? And I think a lot of trauma, just like we talked about at the early point is how we manage it, how we frame it. And for a lot of kids, they're repeatedly traumatized, which changes the brain chemistry. And there's actually it lays down almost like plaque in the brain of ways of expecting that you're unsafe. And that's like a key, key one. And kids really only have two mechanisms to survive, right? They're the best little hider in the closet or the best little fighter in the schoolyard. Yeah. And how can we tell, it takes a trained professional to do things like play therapy sometimes, because kids can't articulate the same way adults can either. Um, so early intervention, really important. Leave that to the trained professionals, people who deal with kids, especially from the z- age of zero to three is a really critical time. I think it was Winnicott, there's many many um, theorists and psychologists doctors who have studied that window of time where if we have what's called good enough parenting or consistent intervention so that if our child does witness an accident or their brother or sister is hurt or whatever that they can expect to come back to this secure base and they're safe kind of like when you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs we need safety and security at the very base and that's what small children especially need and often don't get when they're in the eye of the storm or in a surrounded by trauma. It doesn't mean that we can't. The cool thing is, I'm so excited about the neuroscience research that's come out lately, Nikki, but that we can actually reprogram the brain now at any age.
0: Oh my God, Catherine, so. do you know what happened? Do you what know happened? what happened? Um, mary Ms. Misburys is a lady who I interviewed on my podcast, and she mm-hmm. was rescued at the hospital from having a brain aneurysm. Then mm-hmm. a year later, she experienced her brain rerouting, and doctors never knew the brain could do that. She had slurred speech. She said, Nikki, I might not be okay. A week later, she said, Sunnybrook was floored. I'm okay now, and my brain is was rerouting, and they didn't know the brain could do that, and now I can speak. Yes. And wow. this, this is the sweet spot
1: of hope that we, we all need to get in, whether it's our physical health or whether it's our mental health. Uh, the message that everything is, you know, we, we can't go back and change the past, but we can rewire our brains for the future. So with respect to your earlier question about how do you know if your child's been traumatized, you know, especially if they're not able to have the language to put around it, Always, we're looking for changes in what's what's a normal way of that child. Like if they're if they're always liking to play by themselves and draw and things, and um, and you know now they're they're looking fearful to be alone. You know, there's there's little signs where things are. I always look for out of character behavior. So, but but leave that to the trained professionals. We can't change what happened. We can have early intervention. The best thing we can do as parents, as caregivers, is just reassure our child that we're there. When they cry, we're right there. When they're afraid, we talk about it. And that they can, it's consistent action and parenting that's gonna go the longest way to repairing that that insecure base, if you will, and rebuild that security that every child needs to risk change, to be able to welcome the, the darkness and the hardships that come in the future because they're resilient. They've been taught that it's okay to experience something traumatic and that there's people who support you and love you. And there's special resources that can help you to rise and, and be better even than learn tools and lessons that you wouldn't have otherwise known
0: and thrive. Okay. I guess I have one last question for you, Catherine. In your book, you have an emotions wheel mm-hmm. and the emotions wheel, I think is really interesting because you said there's a feeling vocabulary and it's invaluable because sometimes people don't even know how they feel. Yeah. You mentioned a couple in the book. Can you talk about that? Yeah. One of the things I did early on in my career was
1: couple counseling and, um, boy, oh boy, it all comes down to this. Doesn't it, Nikki? It's having an honest, open conversation. And if you're interested in how to have effective communication, I've peppered some resources in there, like the Gottman Institute, which has studied couples communication over the years. But anybody know what the word stonewalling means? For example, it comes with an emotion underneath it of contempt, of a complete and total Lack of respect for someone. And I don't know about you, but I don't even know how to recognize that feeling in myself. But you can't recognize it in somebody else in action if you can't recognize it in yourself. And this couple was on that slippery slope down after 20, I think it was 25 years or so of being invested in this relationship because they had contempt. They didn't know the first thing about how to talk about feelings because our society has said, wipe that smile off your face. You've got no reason to be to be angry, Nikki, or, you know, just sit there and people please and and be nice. You know, smile, smile through the tears. The buck up school of counseling. Yeah, that's the one that works really well. And they were not able to either acknowledge the feelings they had shot back at one another or talk about them. And I know it sounds, how is that possible? Like some magic formula, but it was truly learning to label, I feel angry when you don't take out the garbage. No, you know, the reason why people's divorce, right? It's not, it's not this big catastrophic thing. It's all the little things that are never addressed. And being able to say, I would appreciate it if, and, and sometimes the person's like, really, that upsets you? You feel that way? And this is like a magic eraser for escalating emotions and relationship breakdown. Being able to say, you know what, this is guilt. I think it might be guilt. I feel guilty when... And knowing that these emotions are there for you to absorb and then action and make a corrective action. And more importantly, Nikki, you don't have to be so afraid. You'll get across the bridge. I've got some tools there that I I can guarantee you if you just keep putting one small step in front of the other, you won't be stuck in that fear. You'll get to the other side of that bridge with so much light inner wisdom and strength like uh, you never would have believed you could have had and the fourth step in my in the mental health resiliency roadmap I put it into four parts 11 checkpoints got to acknowledge you've got to accept you've got to embrace all the good stuff that's coming lastly is giving your gifts and when you get to the other side of that bridge with that newfound wisdom, it is not for you to hold that inside. You're robbing people of all that light and wisdom that you're meant to share with the world. And that's the sweet spot of giving your gifts. And Nikki, that's what you do by helping bring people out of their kind of dark sort of quietness to share their gifts with the world. And that's really what I want each and every person who reads this book to do is to know whether you're a grandma and you bake the best cookies will bake them for the whole neighborhood, you know, get that human connection and, and all of the oxytocin of exchanging with people and the good feeling or endorphins going or whether you're a nurse practitioner that you can help people in your community in or maybe in your church by just having a small um, circle, small circle with people sharing your wisdom, singing, if you can sing beautifully sing if you can play an instrument, play an instrument that helps people's mental health, it's been proven, rewires our brains.
0: Catherine, you know, it's its funny. Um, we renovated our house recently. And one of my neighbors sent me a message and said, Nikki, we can't wait to see your Christmas tree light up again this year. We missed it for two years. And I, I realized that whatever we do, sometimes we don't realize that somebody else has a moment attached to it. We just think it's ours, but I think we're so connected. We're so connected. We are
1: intrinsically and extrinsically connected to every human being that we pass almost that comes in and out of our lives. And a good Testament to that. I, I, I wrote it, I wrote a chapter on, you know, cultivating connections, and also demystifying the disconnections, you know, so that I'm sure there's people out there that's like, why am I always in these relationships with people, you know, that don't actually adore me and love me and are narcissists, for example, that all starts as well with knowing, loving yourself and knowing the gifts that you give and who's deserving of your time and energy. And then acknowledging that by doing it in such a way that others can can thrive too. So your Christmas tree lighting, you probably didn't know, but when we're on that roadmap to try to get to self enjoyment, that would be an instant like you know nugget of joy that you could give to someone. And when you don't light up the tree. There's always that person that's like, I didn't get my joy hit from from Nikki this this holiday season. So it can be the littlest thing that you don't realize can really make a difference in even one other human being's life. And the other thing I just wanted to share on that human connection piece is we don't need a lot of people in our lives. We just need some really tough Friendship criteria, and I put that all down in the book because yes, I'm all about saying yes and to things, but being a really good friend and knowing and spotting another is someone who can say, I can't help you move this weekend, Nikki. I'm sorry, I can't, I've got this concert to go to myself, or you know, other priorities. I can say no for now. I can help you unpack next week. That's a good friend. That's a true friend. That's an authentic friend. Do you want your friend to cancel their concert and come over and be disgruntled and kind of feeling mad Mad that you, if people say this, you made me? Remember, no one can make you do anything. No. No one can make you feel small or insignificant without your permission.
0: Oh, I love it. Okay, Catherine. Now that the listeners kind of want to buy your book and they want to know where to find you, what is your Instagram handle? So, Catherine Clark Connects, or just Catherine
1: Clark. Um, come and find me. Come on down. Pull up your coffee with Catherine Cup, and um, I'll be sharing some wisdom there as well. CatherineClarkConnects.com is my website. You can go there for resources like doing a mental health gauge exercise. Uh, affirmations, all the good stuff that keeps us on the mental health resiliency uh, roadway. And please go on Amazon, gifts in dark packages is in the ebook version right now, the paperback version, please let me know, leave a review. Let's start a conversation. Let's have a catch up. I do hope that you'll keep this book loaded and ready. Because it's not a matter of if, but when our next mental health challenge, our next dark package will land on our doorstep or your son or your daughter or your mother or your cousin or your best friend will need a little bit of coaxing back to mental health resiliency and living a life with joy and ease.
0: Thank you, Catherine. We're so lucky we had you on Superstar PR. You keep helping people and everybody who's listening, you're going to see Catherine on some major TV programs coming soon. We'll be sharing all of her interviews. Have a wonderful day. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Superstar PR, the podcast. This is season five and we hope you've enjoyed listening. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know how you like this episode.